Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Under the Hoodies. I'm Bill Kegel. I'm joined by Tony DiNicola. Tony, what's going on, buddy? Oh, not much. Hanging out, relaxing after a long day, you know. You know how it is in the uh, in the labor business as we are in. In the fast-paced, lucrative world of what we do. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. All right. So, tonight we're just going to get right into it. No banter, none of that crap. We're going to have a straightforward show because... We're not going to say who it is yet, but we have a special guest next week, um, well-known in these parts, so very, very excited about that. So we're going to actually do our best to make this sound like a legitimate show this week. So um, first thing I want to start off with, man, the New England Patriots. Uh, you have thoughts. You called this game last week. I was wrong. You were right. Um, what did you know that I did Oh, it's like I said last week. I just I don't bet against Belichick, especially on a short week at home. They, the guy's a master strategist. Like I, I bow before the throne of the hoodie. The guy, I hate the Patriots, but it's almost like when I was a kid and I hated the '96 Bulls for constantly beating up on my Knicks, and then you grow to appreciate him. Like we're just seeing greatness before us. This he he's gonna go down as one of the greatest head coaches of all time. The guy just. He always pulls a rabbit out of the path. He just knows how to strategize against these teams. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And it's kind of amazing to watch and sort of be a part of because for whatever reason, in the social media, let's hate people we'll never even meet and would never say to their face on the off chance we did meet era, um, we, we we tend to not appreciate greatness in its in the moment. It's only revisionist history is when we start appreciating it. So that's, that's kind of an interesting thing because I think that to all the people listening, take a minute and think about the following. Like think about Greg Popovich, Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett just retired. Never going to see him again. Think about like you're, we're in the prime of LeBron James. We're in the prime of Steph Curry. And like Tony just said, we're in the prime of Bill Belichick. We're in the prime of possibly the greatest head coach in the most important position in coaching, maybe on earth. Um, definitely in this country, that's for sure. And I don't know if a coach in any other sport does anything does anything remotely close to what NFL coaches do. I mean, not even just football coaches, but NFL specifically. You think you got to deal with essentially 53 millionaires that grew up, most of them, I would say – you know, out of every, uh, out of all 53 players, maybe one grew up upper class. Some of them maybe upper middle class, some middle class. But I would say, I would venture to guess that a lot of them grew up lower class. And now you all of a sudden you give them all this money, and then you put one older guy in charge of all of them, and you're like, okay, get all 53 of these guys in unison. Most of them grew up with nothing. Now they have a bunch of stuff keep them on the straight and narrow, get them all together to win football games. Mind you, you only have, you only have half of them for one year. So that's not even getting down to the X's and O's and just how incre- incredibly difficult and demanding that job is. Okay, and now I'll take everybody that's ever done that, and you put one guy at the very top of that pile. That's Bill Belichick. So just appreciate what you, just, what you saw on Thursday night because – Chances are you're not going to see a lot like that after Belichick's gone. You're just really not. Like, Belichick is a once-in-a-generation human being. So really, really appreciate what you're seeing because it's special. It's absolutely 100% special. And 
I say all that to say Tony was a thousand percent right last week. Tony, you proved me wrong. I, I don't know why I went against the hoodie. I thought the Texans were a better team. They're pretenders. I don't think if they make the playoffs, JJ Watt or not JJ Watt, and you know I'll, I'll get to this at some point. But I think that his position, not him, but his position, a little bit overrated. So JJ Watt. Brock Osweiler paying $18 million a year to. You have DeAndre Hopkins, Will Fuller. Granted, Will Fuller is a rookie, but he looked like a rookie week one and week two. Um, you have these weapons. You spend a lot of money in free agency. Your defense is finally coming together. Whitney Merciless looks like he's finally starting to produce. Blah, 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 whatever. A third-string quarterback from North Carolina State who was a transfer from Florida, but Parcells' guy, because uh, Parcells lives in that area, um, Parcells' guy, Jacoby Brissett comes in, plays well. Defense, absolutely incredible. Um, I don't think the Patriots allowed the Texans across the 50-yard line until, what, eight minutes left in the third quarter? It, it, it was one of the most impressive coaching jobs I've ever seen. Um, and, Tony, man, you hit it right on the head last week. I mean, it, it, you, you called it. You just you can't bet against the hoodie. You saw this coming you know, 24 hours in advance, I'm sure even before that, uh, once you saw that Garoppolo was out, you called this, man, and I got to give you props. So, um, but uh, but what did you see in that game um, that, like, that made you think one way or another about either one of those teams, I guess? It's a very broad question, but what did you see? Well, I, I think the big thing, too, for the Texans is coming in on that short week, and I think they turned the ball over twice on kick returns. And it's like you're climbing uphill battle as far as strategy-wise against the Patriots and Belichick as it is. But to then on top of it to turn right. the ball over like that and give a rookie quarterback a short field, you're basically just gift-wrapping the game to them. Like you have to come in. Right. You, have to play, you have to play good, if not damn near perfect to beat Belichick in the Pats at home. Even with all the injuries, they had all the pieces they're missing. And you go back to talking about New England and the 53 guys and how they play together, that's the big thing they preach in New England is the Patriot way. Everybody falls in line. Everybody buys into the program. You don't have people straying too far from what they do. You know, it's the total antithesis of Buffalo with Rex Ryan where it's all about sound bites and going off and press conferences and this fake bravado, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, New England just goes out and just gets the job done, just plain and simple. And as much as I hate that team, you have to respect it. It's an amazing job that they do. Yep. Um, And, I mean, do you – well, you know what? You have the crystal ball for the Patriots, at least this week. What do you think is going to happen in the game on Sunday? Buffalo traveling to New England, big win against Arizona. Garoppolo and Brissett both practiced today. Um, so what do you what do you think is going to happen in in uh, on Sunday in Foxborough? I I'm picking a pass win. I think it'll be a little closer. I don't think it's going to be a blowout like the Houston game. Um, right. Specifically, too. I I almost feel like the win over Arizona was almost fool's gold. And that uh, you you have to remember sure. too in this. And sometimes announcers bring it up during the game, but it's a key stat when. Uh, West Coast teams travel east and have to play a 1 o'clock game. Basically, their bodies are playing at 10 in the morning. They're just – football players are just so regimented. They're not used to that. And the stats show that right. when a West Coast team comes east and plays a 1 o'clock game, 
majority of the time they lose those games and they just put in a poor performance. And that's exactly what Arizona did. Arizona is a, such a talented team, but to put in that kind of performance against Buffalo, it was terrible. I mean, the, the one bright spot they right. had was that incredible one-handed interception that Patrick Peterson had, which is going to go down as one of the top catches of the year by a cornerback, no less. Oh, one yeah. Going out of bounds. It was incredible. Kind of amazing. But besides that, they just yeah. they, they, they laid a total egg. It's just complete dud. They never even got off the plane. Yeah, it was pretty embarrassing. And uh, I actually agree with you. It's, it's hard because um, – it's hard because, you know, every, nothing is really – I mean, the NFL is just so unpredictable. I mean, there's a lot of games we could talk about we didn't see coming. I mean, even before the season, experts. Experts, guys that do this for a living. You and I do BS on the phone. We BS on the show. We do our research. We prepare. But we – I mean, what what do we know compared to the guy? I mean, we have full-time jobs. What do we know, um, you know, that, that the other guys, you know, the guys on TV don't? Probably not much, right? But they all predicted the Philadelphia Eagles would finish last in the NFC East, and as of right now, they're by far the best-looking team in the NFC East. So basically I say that to say that you really know nothing in the NFL. So I think you're right with the Bills. I think it is going to be a close game. Um, and I'm not agreeing with you because you were so right last time. I actually thought that before. I think it will be a closer game than people realize. Um, I'm going to check the spread here in a second. But uh, but I definitely think the Patriots win, um, and to be four and zero. I mean, even if they lose three and one with Tom Brady coming back, with a pretty you know at least a couple easy games uh, shoehorned in there. I mean, it just because they're playing a difficult game doesn't mean that they're going to lose that difficult game. The Patriots do take care of business against the crap teams, so I don't think they're going to get one of those random losses unless it's against the Bills or unless it's against the the Dolphins or the Jets. Although I don't think the Jets are a crap team. Um, but like, I, I just don't see, um, I just don't see, I don't know. I just don't see the Patriots losing. I mean, maybe they do, maybe they lay an egg against like, you know, Denver or, you know, one of these other teams. I haven't, I haven't looked at their schedule in the last couple of days, so I don't know if somebody who else they play, but I, I mean, they might lay an egg against one of them, but it's hard to pick, hard to say, see this team losing more than three to four games this year, especially going at least three and one without Brady. It's, it's kind of incredible. Oh, yeah, it's amazing to watch. I mean, even if they do lose the Buffalo, like you said, they go 3-1. and one. I mean, let's be honest, they have Cleveland next week. I don't care if you play in Cleveland, in New England, on the moon. New England, with Brady coming back, they are destroying the Browns. It's it's going to be ugly. And I, I am excited right. to watch it. I'm, I'm actually giddy about it. Just right. Cleveland is Cleveland, and, you know, you just got to kick a horse while it's down. Yep. <laughs> you definitely do. But you definitely do. As All right, right as I was, Cleveland with, does play pretty hard. Go ahead, sorry about yeah. that. Yeah, no, I was gonna say as right as I was with New England, I was I swung and missed with the Bills, and I'll admit that last week I said the Cardinals were gonna crush them, and I should have taken it into account. Mm-hmm. Like I said, the West Coast team traveling east, it just it always seems to nip these teams in the butt. You know what's funny is that Vegas actually semi sort of called that. Vegas had the line I think at three and a half right at kickoff. Uh, why? Because you think coming after, coming out of a 32-point uh, victory, 33-point victory against Tampa Bay, and the Bills, uh, you know, sort of losing, you know, the Bills, I mean, the, the score looked close, but the game really was never close against the Jets and Baltimore. I think they're, I think they're like you, uh, to use your, uh, or your metaphor earlier, fool's gold. I think the Baltimore is fool's gold, but 
still a 3-0 team. But anyway, the Bills sort of losing to both those teams and then beating Arizona, uh, or excuse me, lose both of those teams and then only being a three-point dog to Arizona is kind of interesting. Um, and, and it's something we all sort of saw coming. I mean, Vegas knew it, and I think it's that. I think you hit it on the head. I think it's that west to east trip that they made. And I think, I think you even hit it on the head last week. I mean, you sort of alluded to that last week when you were talking about the Cardinals and the NFC East. Um, you know, going against the, you know, they didn't have that long of a trip when they played the Cowboys, but they had a really long trip when they played the Giants, when they played the Eagles, when they played the Redskins back then, you know, and, and it's kind of like maybe one of those things that's a, it's a hangover. But you know what I think is funny about that is that the Seahawks, I don't think have that issue and traditionally haven't had that issue and they travel further than anybody, you know? So I do take into account that fact because I, I definitely think that there's something with that. But at the same time, oh, there's no line for the Patriots Bills game, by the way, because they haven't they haven't named who the starting quarterback is going to be. So that's the only one that doesn't have a line this week. Um, but, I was yeah, going to say I, I found one online that's four and a half, but who knows how right that is at this point. That does sound like it was what it should be. Um, but yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, basically what I'm saying is is that. Uh, it's an excuse with Arizona, and we're not going to dive deep into Arizona, but it, it does sound as an excuse to Arizona. But, I mean, I really – I don't think Arizona's that good. Uh, I, I think they're good. I just don't think that they're – I don't think that they are a Super Bowl contender. I don't think they're as good as Minnesota. I don't think they're as good as as Carolina, although Carolina has a losing record and Cam hasn't looked like Cam yet. But I do think that that roster – is better, um, is, is I guess, capable of being better. Maybe not on talent on paper, but I think that because the quarterback is so much better in Carolina than it is on Arizona, that I think that that's, that fact makes a huge difference. I don't think that Carson Palmer is the guy. I really don't. He put up nice numbers last year. He's a quote-unquote MVP candidate, but I just don't feel that Arizona is as good as we all think. So I'm not sure how big of a win this was Buffalo had. It's, it's a significant win. But I don't think it's as impressive as when the season started. Um, yeah, I, uh, I don't so, even think it's that significant yeah. of a win because the biggest problem for me is that Arizona is an NFC team, and that's a win for Buffalo yep. over an NFC team. Which, when it comes to wild, you got to look long term wild card implications and um, tiebreakers. It, it doesn't yep. mean much to them at all because they lost to Baltimore and they lost to the Jets. Two AFC wildcard contenders. Two teams they're now behind because of those losses. I'd much rather them lose, right. lose to Arizona and beat Baltimore or the Jets, a team they need to move ahead of in the standing. Right. No, I agree with you. And um, you know, I mean, sort of, sort of. I mean, sort of, just to put a bow on it. I think the Patriots have locked the division up. I think you would agree. I, I don't. I like the Jets. I think they're a nice roster. I, I with that quarterback, like like how I feel about Arizona. I got to stop saying like uh, how I feel about Arizona is how I feel about the Jets. Good roster. I like the coaching staff. I don't like the quarterback. I don't think you can go to the Super Bowl with that quarterback. Specifically, the Jets. I mean, Carson Palmer maybe, but he just looks terrible in big games for whatever reason. He just doesn't look good. He's a fair weather quarterback, you know. But when things get a little murky. I think that's when he struggles. And I think we saw that. I think we saw the NFC championship game. I think similar to Andy Dalton, we see that, you know, in, in, in just any big game or any sort of primetime game, more so with Dalton 
Um, but but Carson Palmer for sure. Any big game he's ever been in, he's never looked that great. I've never been blown away by Carson Palmer. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, just to put a bow on it, I definitely think that the Patriots have that division wrapped up. Um, barring any kind of oh, catastrophic I, injury to Belichick. Um, and I'm not even saying any of the players because I, it almost doesn't seem like it matters at this point. Uh, obviously, Brady's the class of that organization. But barring any major injury to Belichick, I just don't see yeah, how he doesn't, doesn't just the roll only, through the AFC. The only thing that could go wrong for them is if Rex Ryan commandeered a bus and ran over Belichick numerous times. That's the only thing that could go wrong for the Patriots at this point. A lot of people in Buffalo would uh, turn their opinions uh, from from negative to positive to Rex Ryan if he did that. Yeah, that might get him a contract extension. Yeah, I think so. So, all right, everybody, you're listening to Under the Hoodies. I'm Bill Kegel. We're joined by Tony DeNicola. Tony DeNicola, good lord, I can't talk today. Um, again, similar to what I did last week, I also just wanted to let everybody know that there is a couple podcasts that I like listening to called the film vault and cinematics and a guy on there is doing a crowdfunding thing with a movie script. He's trying to get made into a motion picture. Um, it's groupers, I would go there, check it out. It's going to redirect you to a, to a site called seed and spark. That's the crowdfunding um, website that he's using in order to get this film made. He's trying to raise $75,000. He's about a third of the way there um, with about a little over a month left. So he's on a good pace. I think that I think that'll get there. I'm really curious to see, um, really curious to see the final product, especially after watching the uh, the trailer, the animatic. Uh, he just sort of goes over a quick. Um, he does a quick overview of uh, what the movie's about. It definitely looks different. Um, so I'll give him that. But uh, but I've been listening to him for years. I mean, since you know he's been on, he was on Love Line when I was a kid. Uh, he's, you know, like I said, I've been listening to his, uh, cinematic podcast was started at the beginning of the year. And I've listened to the film vault since 2010 ish back when you, they were on the Adam Carolla's network. So, um, but yeah, give that a look, uh, groupers, movie.com. I'm not saying donate your money. That's whatever. I'm sure he'll be fine without it, but, um, but definitely give it a look. And if you like it, go ahead and donate, but I definitely wouldn't uh, advocate, you know, giving money to something you don't know. Or whatever, but definitely go over there, take take a look. And uh, I'm not being paid for this, by the way. Like I said last week, I just emailed him and asked him if I could shout it out on the podcast, and uh, he seemed to be really happy with that. I'm not even asking for a free plug or anything from him, uh, but it's just something uh, I would like to do, just because I'm a fan of his work and I've been listening to his stuff for free for so long that it's the least I could do is pay it forward. And you and I, as podcast guys, really enjoy the fact that these podcasts are free. So. Bill Burr doesn't need any of my support. Uh, Adam Carolla definitely doesn't need any of my support. Uh, most of the podcasts we listen to don't, but that guy, he's, he is one of the few that does. And uh, I'm really curious to see how that movie turns out. So like I said, interesting subject matter. Um, and if it's any good, it could be a rather important film, but even still, uh, group is the movie.com. Go ahead and uh, go over there and take a look at it. I sent you the trailer earlier, Tony. I'm sure you'll take a look at it and I'm curious your thoughts on it, but we don't need to discuss that on the show. Oh, for so sure. anyway, Moving on uh, to the New York Giants, uh, Washington Red Sox game. So really all I have to say, man, yeah, I mean, that's fine. You know what? Those losses happen. No team is uh, 16-0 with the exception of the Patriots. Um, But, like, I want to say with that game, I don't necessarily think Josh Norman is the best cornerback in the league. I don't think he's defensive player of the year candidate. But what I will say that he did is he is 1,000% the 
not only in Odell Beckham's head, but in the entire Giants' offense's head, with the exception of maybe Eli. And maybe even a little bit with him, which is surprising considering Eli doesn't let anything bother him. So I don't know what the chalk that interception up to that, that lost him the game. He threw two. First one, meh. Second one is a really good play by the defender, but they're both throws Eli shouldn't have made. Uh, you would think a veteran quarterback would be, you know, have a little bit more awareness. But Eli does this. He'll do this three times a year. He'll throw just these heartbreaking interceptions. He'll throw these incredible touchdown passes. It all balances out. So um, I, it's very difficult for me to be biased or unbiased when it comes to that man. But, um, but so Josh Norman is in that team's head. I, he is 100% Odell Beckham's head. And, and the crazy thing is, in between the white lines, Tony, Odell has got the better of them statistically. I mean, he yep. dropped that, that pass was the first play of the game in the Carolina game last year. He dropped a sure touchdown in that, in that Carolina game, a sure touchdown, and that game would have that, that been a completely different game if he doesn't drop that ball. But even still, he beats him in that. He scores a touchdown on him in the Carolina game last year. This game, I want to say he had, like, he had seven catches for 121 yards. I believe six of those catches and 100 and some odd yards. I, I don't want to give any misquotes um, on the yardage, but I know it was over 100 yards. We're on Josh Norman. One catch was against another one, and Josh Norman re- lined up right across from Odell, did a good job against him for three quarters, and then Eli just started feeding Odell the ball, and Odell was 100% getting the best of him. Here's where the Giants screwed up, and this isn't actually Odell Beckham's fault. Whose fault this is is Weston Richburg. Weston Richburg had a personal foul earlier in the game. Two personal fouls, new rule this year, two personal fouls, and you're out. Weston Richburg, Josh Norman wasn't anywhere near the play. He was sort of trailing behind, but blocking him like Weston Richburg did made no sense. Blocks him in the back, gets ejected from the game. He's a center. He's one of the best centers in the league. He actually could make the pole goal this year as a lineman. The Giants desperately need lineman help. Can't afford to lose a guy like that. I gotta not say we. The Giants cannot afford to lose a guy like that because Eli needs protection, okay? In order to beat the Redskins, you were going to have to pass. The Giants running game, as we learned, Shane Vereen went out. Shane Vereen's out with a season-ending triceps injury. Rashad Jennings didn't play that game. Orleans Darqua was the only running back that we had uh, for a good chunk of the second half. So, Weston Richburg, you need to be there in order to protect Eli Manning so he can make throws to hopefully win us the game. So, win the Giants game. <laughs> Boy, i got to work on that, Tony. Um, but, you know, but that's how deep my fandom runs here. But, um, but, but here's the thing. Yep. What did you see? All right, what did you see as a non-biased, even though you're a Cowboys fan, and either one of these teams winning not good for you, so one of them had to win, right? So, what did you see yeah. in that game that made you – why, why do you why do you think the Giants lost, or how do you think Josh Norman is in their heads? I'd love to hear your take on this because I actually haven't asked you, so I can hear it on the show. I'm actually, and if there happens to be any millennials listening, I'm going to quote one of my favorite movies, Little Giants, where they say football <laughs> is 80% mental, 40% physical. And if you haven't watched that movie, go watch it. It's amazing. But yeah, Norman. It's great because the Giants win in the end. Spoiler. Well, yeah, I guess the Cowboys. So, yeah, you can shove that one up your rear end. But, um, yeah, (laughs) Norman is just – Beckham is so emotional, and Norman just knows how to push the right button. Like, you see it in life where, like, you know when you're getting under someone's skin, you just keep picking at that scab, and it just – you drive certain people nuts. 
like as good as Beckham is, he just is not he's not strong mentally. Like he needs to just let it go in one ear and out the other. He just lets it get to him. And then not only is Norman in his head, but the damn kicking net on the sideline is, is in his head. Like are you, are you kidding me? The guy had a meltdown. Thank God for your boy Eli coming over to calm him down at one point. It's like, did yeah. you not watch game film of the last matchup last year when he played for Carolina, how you pretty much lost the team the game just by losing your pool? Like, keep it in check, man, because a coach needs to grab him by the face mask or someone, some team leader needs to go over there and be like, hey, man, sit down, cool off. You need to relax. You can't be costing your team like yeah, that. Yeah, Right, and I think McAdoo came out with the best, the best thing. It's like he does need to control his emotions. He definitely does. And I think McAdoo took a lot of heat for that, but he really – I mean, he's not wrong. I mean, Beckham yeah. is so important to that offense. He's one of the few – he's one of the few non-quarterback players in the NFL that actually moves the Vegas line. Uh, he's in an elite yep. group with, like, Julio Jones, A.J. Green, Gronk. Like, he's one of those guys. He's in that – he's on that level. Yeah. And to lose a guy like that, and emotionally even, and him not being in the play – him, you know, he, he did play well. He was really good in between the lines, but for whatever reason on the sidelines, he just couldn't keep together. And I, I don't think his frustration necessarily was all Josh Norman. I think he was frustrated with his lack of his lack of uh, contributions to the game because he really wasn't catching a lot to that point. It's only after the meltdown on the sideline was Beckham getting the ball, you know, and maybe that was sort of helpful. But at the same time, I, I don't think – I think I think on the sideline, I think the offense really needs to focus on running the offense as opposed to babysitting him. And I really think that that might be the biggest issue. But this is all oh, falling under the giant Josh Norman umbrella, and he it, yeah. and that that goes to him being in the team's head. And I think it runs a little deeper. And I'm curious as to why that player specifically, with all the other players in the league that talk crap, I wonder why it's that player specifically that gets so far under Odell's skin. I know there was comments before the Carolina game about Odell Beckham's sexuality. That has nothing to do with anything, I don't think. I mean, I think, I think that's, it, you know, whatever. If the, I don't think Norman was saying that kind of stuff, but I think, I think he played off of a lot of it last year. But whatever, that's not for me to speculate, I guess. I know that that was what was said. That was confirmed that was said. But, like, I, I don't know Norman's involvement with that. But for whatever reason, Odell was emotional and Norman capitalized on it last year. I wonder if Odell is just takes it in stride. Does he catch that first pass against Carolina? Does he keep it together on the sidelines in this game? Does he write, does he, you know, does he, you know, contribute a little more throughout the game as opposed to just at the end of the fourth quarter when the giants were in desperation mode. So I'm really curious how I believe they play again in week 17. I'm really curious how that game goes. I'm curious to see how, how they respond this week against probably the best team in the NFC right now in Minnesota on Monday night. Um, and uh, I, I think uh, I, I think the Giants do bounce back. I'm not saying that because I'm a fan, but when I, I'm saying that because I think I think McAdoo I think McAdoo said all the right things. I, they they were a team that weren't penalized a lot in the first two weeks, and then all of a sudden were just penalty machines. Like they look like the Raiders under Al Davis in this game. Like it, it was just. I don't know. It was sort of it was sort of embarrassing uh, just just see the, just the the discipline unraveling as the game went on. So curious curious how they respond. Um, how say you about the Monday night game? Well, first off, with Josh Norman and uh, Beckham, Beckham has all the talent in the world, and 
I can kind of compare this a little bit to Dez from a couple of years ago, where it's like you said, the yeah. offense shouldn't have to baby great They shouldn't be so worried about his touches. And this happened with Dez a few years mm-hmm. ago where, you know, he had like one catch through the first half, and you see him over the sidelines, and he's just going nuts. He's carrying on. He's going crazy, just yelling at everybody, coaches, assistants. Romo comes over and just has a conversation and, like, grabs him by the shoulder pad calmly and, like, you know, just cools him down, and that's what you need. And Eli did that somewhat in the last game. But you just need to keep doing yep. it. Like, be forced to this guy. Like, hey, if whatever if – if the offense is clicking and we're working, we can't just throw you the ball just for the hell of it, just so you can get your touches. But as far as the Monday night right. game, uh, I think it's going to be a close game. I've got Minnesota favorite in this one, mainly because it's at home. I, I would take the Giants oh, if yeah. it was in New York. And the big thing about Minnesota, oh. I don't feel like their defense is getting enough love right now. They are fourth in the NFL in total QBR allowed. And they've shut down Aaron Rodgers and Cam Newton, probably the two best quarterbacks in the NFC. And, you know, Eli's yep. right up there with them. And I think if they played – they play the way they've been playing, they can shut down Eli as well. And the big thing, too, is they're getting pressure on these guys. They got pressure on Rodgers. They smack Newton around. They hit him in the mouth, which you don't see a lot. And if they do the same thing to Eli, it's as good as Eli is, if you put pressure on him and he reverts to old Eli, he starts throwing those flutter balls up in the air, you'll have an interception party yep. in Minnesota Monday night. No, I agree with you 100%. And, uh, I mean, just the to- just to sort of uh, put a ball on this, um, I agree with you. I worry about this game. Um, but I do like the Giants' front four. I think the front seven as a whole has been playing well. I I do worry about the – the. Um, I mean, if I was a Vikings fan, I would be worried about the uh, one-dimensional offense that they're sort of running. They are having success with it, but they're not scoring a ton of points. Um, I, I do worry if this is going to be one of those defensive struggles. Um, and I worry about Eli turning the ball over. I mean, in all honesty, I do worry about that. Um, I do worry about the running back situation with the Giants, too. I mean, Paul Perkins is going to have to have an active role in the offense, which you don't really feel good about going against the best defense in the league. and No, the best defense, we'll say, in the NFC. I mean, the Patriots might have something to say in the AFC, and Denver definitely. But as far as the NFC goes, Minnesota is the class defensively of the uh, of the NFC, and to start two backup running backs um, without a ton of experience, um, you know, an emotional game last week, uh, sort of a you know the right side of the Giants' offensive line is, meh. Um, and you know, but the defense looks good. Bradford, you know, still learning the offense to some extent. It's it's a one dimensional offense now without uh, without Adrian Peterson there. Um, I mean, even though he wasn't having a great year, I mean he's a, still a decoy you still had to account for him uh so I, I definitely think losing him hurts their hurts their offense not as much as i would think that people would think but i i definitely think if you know if you were to rate how much he hurts their defense on a scale from one to ten i think most people would say like a nine but i actually think it's maybe like a four if that makes sense so i have the giants winning a defensive battle um i think it's going to be an ugly game uh from the offensive standpoint on both sides but I think the Giants, slightly better offensive personnel, I think um, find a way to get it done. And I do think that they steal a home or a road win. Um, the Giants traditionally are very, very good on the road. They're very good in hostile environments. Um, so that's sort of where I'm going with this. Now, honestly, I, I had to take the opposite approach of you. If the Giants were at home, I would actually worry about this game, which is so bizarre to say. 
but for whatever the reasons the Giants galvanize and they play really well on the road against winning teams. I don't get it. They play really terrible at home against bad teams. It's just who they are. That's who they've been my whole life. doesn't matter who's in there. It's just how they've always been. So I have the Giants in a close defensive battle on Monday night, which I will be staying up to watch I, every second. I of, love so. how blinded Very you are by your homerism. I, uh, God, I'm I not. It. I'm being 100% I, honest. Oh, I, you're I such a dick, dude. You're hate. I'm yep. not. I swear to God, I'm not. I am not. I, I am not. I really am not. I think that I, I'm telling you right now, Look how one how one dimensional are the Vikings? How one dimensional are they the like the world? They're going to chuck the ball. You just talked about how they're running back. I agree with you. I said that. I agree with you. But I think the Giants' offense so you're talking is about a little bit better than Minnesota's Minnesota offense. The same thing with the Giants, and especially too, the Giants keep chucking the ball, and that front four Minnesota can pin their ears back and just keep rushing Eli. I'd be very worried about that. I mean. Minnesota is a very good secondary. I'm not saying they're going to be able to just completely shut down Cruz and Beckham, but they're going to give them a very tough time. I 100% agree with you. I, I said I made all those points that you made. I'm just saying, and I'm picking the Giants because traditionally, traditionally, against the road good good road teams, the Giants have always played well. Look at the Giants' record against Green Bay. The Giants have a winning record against Aaron Rodgers. The Giants have a winning record against the Patriots. The Giants have a winning record against all these good teams. They always play Seattle really hard when Seattle was good a couple of years ago. It doesn't make any sense. I'm telling you right now, it doesn't make any sense. But I, I swear to God, I know this Giants team better than anybody. And I, I, I don't know how this I sounds- see the freaking Washington game coming. But I, I swear to you that they play road, good road teams extremely well. I don't get it. I'm telling you right now, I do not understand it, but that's how it happens. I don't get it. Are you trying to convince me or are you trying to convince yourself? Because this is starting to sound like the Houston Texans. I don't need to convince myself. All right, man. <laughs> yeah. If you want to play the Houston where your Texans, I'm ready. We can you keep trying to bet me every true. week, and it doesn't make any sense. It, it makes sense right, last week anyway. when I fetched you 20 push-ups at a work event that, that the Patriots would beat Houston. You took that bet like a sucker. Very true. You've given me Let's a lot to think about. We already started. Right, we'll we'll bet on the Dallas San Fran game. You want to bet on this one too? I want to know how many push-ups. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, you're right. What do you, what do you have uh, left over for Army days? How many push-ups do you have left in that body of yours? Oh, probably fifty. I could probably knock out fifty. But here's the thing. Uh, Hold on. I felt like I gave a valid argument. <laughs> I said it was going to be close. <laughs> you're such a dick. Um, I'm whatever, not saying man. it's a yeah, bad argument. I'm just saying you're wrong. That's fine. That's fine. The Giants have true. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you right now. Hold on. I'm going right now to the Giants. Last, all right, they got blown out last year on Monday night by uh, Minnesota, 49-17. to 17. Um, <laughs> But, you know. <laughs> Good reference. Completely different team. They're better now. Um, so, uh, whatever, Oh, Minnesota? Man. Yes, all right, Giants agree, Minnesota man. is better now. Yeah. Oh my God! How dare you! All right, look. This is all right. Who's who's been a better team over the last five years? Has it been the Giants? Has it been Green Bay? Or has it been Minnesota? Who's the best team out of those three the last three years? Oh, Green Bay. Okay, great. Who's second? Last three years. Yes. Who's second? Who's the second best team in the last three years out of those three? Uh, I'd say Minnesota. 
Okay, great. The Giants are fucking or shoot, I gotta bleep that out. The Giants are five and one against them. Those teams last expected. Uh, SOB. <laughs> the Giants Green Bay has not beat the Giants oh, since oh, regular okay. season want, by three in two thousand eleven. Here we the Giants you can't talk beat them. You're talking past success. How many times has has the Cowboys beaten the okay, Giants? Okay, great. That's what happened in week one. Uh, Ask that question again, please. This is going to get heated. It's not going to get heated at all. I wish I, wish I wasn't in Syracuse. Okay. I was in Buffalo because I would smack you right now. Okay, great. Okay, hey, when we do this show in week nine and we're talking about the Giants-Eagles, I will uh, – I'll give you a completely different answer than I'm giving you now because the Giants are home against the Eagles, and the Giants will lose. The Giants always lose at home to the Eagles every year. The Giants I, haven't beat the Eagles in so long, I can't even remember, like, the last win they had against the Eagles. By God, week nine, you should be wearing muscle T-shirts because of how ripped your chest is from all the push-ups you're going to owe me. <laughs> I got to go back and uh, edit that F word. I feel bad. I should have swore. Uh, I, I wish I could put a disclaimer or something. Oh my! I'm God. glad I could pull that out of you. But whatever, man. I'm telling you right now, it's it's ridiculous. I, I'm telling you, the Giants are so good on the road against winning teams. It's biz- I, It's one of those bizarre phenomena. It's like a crap. I don't doubt it. I just what, I, I like Minnesota's this. matchup. That's fine. That's fine. That's, All right, we'll that's talk absolutely about okay. I will. I will literally. I will look. I will look like the situation in 2009 by the time you see me. All these push-ups I have to do. Oh, yeah, that'll be – you'll be oh. quite the ladies, man. All, all tanned up in your big gas suit and your gelled yeah. hair. Hey, ladies. <laughs> gelled hair. Hey, ladies. Hey, ladies. You, you like, like the gelled, gelled receding hairlines? And, uh, and, and uh, you want a married guy with a 15-month-old? Hey, come over here. I start flexing my chest over my gut. Look at this. Anyway, you're uh, listening to our ladies with uh, – <laughs> you know, think out of their hoodies with um, whatever a very very close Bill Kegel. <laughs> oh, it was Bill Kegel and uh, Tony DiNicola, and um, we're gonna move off that subject uh, because uh, we have to move on to a another uh, 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 something I think you and I will agree on, which is the uh, the young quarterback quote unquote revolution. Um, it's not really a revolution because it's only been going on for a couple weeks now. Um, but I, I've heard that a few times. The young quarterback revolution. I was like, well, revolutions take a little while, so let's let's you know pump the brakes on that. The two young quarterbacks were decent last year. Jameis had a good rookie year. Mar- Mariota had a really good opening to his rookie year. Quarterbacks this year, young quarterbacks have looked pretty good this year. Uh, Garoppolo, although not a rookie, you know, for all intents and purposes, could be one, I guess. Um, but he's pretty used to the speed of the NFL. So we can even take him out. So we'll say Rent Wentz. We'll say Jameis. We'll say Mariota. Um, I'm missing somebody. I'm, I'm, I'm positive. Uh, yeah, Prescott. I mean, my boy. Prescott, yes, thank you. Your boy, your boy, your boy. Uh, that's, uh, you know, Dallas' schedule gets really difficult. And uh, Rome will be back in there by week eight. Um, but anyway, so, but no, I, I, I just, but, okay. I, I agree with you on Dak. I think, and we'll talk, we'll we'll start with him. Let's start with Dak. Okay. How is this happening? How are quarterbacks, young quarterbacks, succeeding in the NFL right now? Considering we we used to, you and I grew up in an era where Carson Palmer sat behind John Kitna, Eli sat behind um, 
Kurt Warner. Phil Rivers sat behind Drew Brees. Uh, I mean, the quarterbacks used to sit. Aaron Rodgers sat behind Brett Favre for, for years. What happened? Why all of a sudden? For years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great point. Undrafted free agent Tony Rumble, by the way. God, Parcells is a genius. Um, yeah. But what happened? Why all of a sudden is Carson Wentz looking like the next freaking, you know, Peyton Manning? Why is Jameis Winston looking like a, a, a true, legit franchise quarterback? Why does Mariota look good considering his very, very underwhelming coaching staff? How is this happening? How is Garoppolo looking good? Looking this good? How is Dak looking this good? What What do you What's your theory on what's going on? Well, I'll I'll take them in pairs as far as Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota. I think the fact that they're in Tennessee and Tampa Bay respectively, and the expectations there are so low for those teams, I just feel like a lot of the pressure is off of them. It's a lot harder when you go to you know um, a title contender as a rookie quarterback and gets just thrust into the flames. And then with Dak and Wentz. The fact that beginning of preseason, neither one of them were going to be the starters. You know, you had up until the trade, you had Bradford and Philly. Up until Rome was injured, you had him going in Dallas. So the fact that they got all, you know, all, they got the train under the starters during the preseason, see how things are. And I, I just feel like the more time you have knowing you're going to be the starter, and if you're named the starter from day one, it's just more pressure that builds and builds on top of you, especially in Philly and Dallas, which. More so Dallas, right. I think, was looked at as a playoff contender. Philly, I mean, they're, they're looking like one now early in the preseason. I didn't think so at all. But, yeah, it's just – and I, I just think it's the, the – how they just scale back the playbook, especially with Dak and Wentz, how they just – you know, each week they go further and further. The coaches are asking them to manage the game, make these high-efficiency throws. You don't have to win us the game. Just don't lose us the game. Just – Make smart throws, smart decisions, throw it away if you have to, and play to the next down. I mean, it's, it's great for their confidence, and they're just bringing them along slowly. It's, it's the perfect way to do it. Um, I, I've also heard the theory that if you take a look at – all right, take the quarterbacks that are – you know, take your Blake Bortles. All right, Blake Bortles is a defensive-minded head coach. Um, and then, but, see, this doesn't ring true necessarily for Derek Carr because Derek Carr is a defensive-minded coach. Um, Derek Carr is – been been relatively successful for the first three years, at least on paper statistically. His growth, I mean, if he was a stock, his arrow would be pointing up. Jameis, offensive-minded head coach. Uh, Wentz, former quarterback. Dak, former quarterback. Um, do you think that has anything to do with it? Do you think that the, the coach, having played the position, or being a guy that has been around the offense and the quarterback – I almost did it. I almost had the quarterback position, which drives me nuts. Being around quarterbacks, you know, their entire careers, do you think that that has something to do with the success of certain quarterbacks over others? Um, or do you think that it's just the guy and, and the defensive and offensive coach thing is just coincidental? Well, I, I think them being former quarterback coaches, I mean, that helps a ton, especially in Dallas with Jason Garrett. I mean, he was the understudy for to Troy Aikman for years. And that's a, yep. a lot of experience that you can brush off on Dak. Like, hey, you know, watch what Romo does. You know, stay with him. See how he studies the playbook. See how he reads defenses. A lot of that film study. You can just break it down better to him. And it's a lot easier to listen to a coach who is in your situation who you can relate to. There's, It just comes a lot easier to them. Yeah, and I, I, I'm still curious, like, the wild card is golf. 
Goff to me is such a wild card because he has Jeff Fisher. Traditionally, Jeff Fisher has not been good with quarterbacks outside of a Steve McNair. See, I think, but my theory with Steve McNair is he sort of he's sort of a transcendent guy. I obviously his numbers weren't super gaudy like Brett Favre and Peyton Manning's, but I think I think that that guy was a little different. I don't think we've will ever see a quarterback like him who essentially got hit like a running back. And you know, the tough guy thing is one thing, but like that's a guy that was always hurt but never injured, right? And I think that that was also a guy that for whatever reason played the position from the standpoint of I don't necessarily need to do this thing to win the game over this thing to win the game. I think he just sort of took it as it came. And I honestly don't know if Jeff Fisher had much to do with that because Jeff Fisher, I don't want to say mismanaged quarterbacks, but I definitely don't, I don't know if he will ever have a quarterback that he was as successful with as, as Steve McNair. I mean, Vince Young didn't work out. Sam Bradford didn't work out. Um, you know, uh, you know the guy, whatever cavalcade of guys they had before Goff didn't really work out. You know, Case Keenum eh, doesn't look doesn't look great. Um, you know, Sean Manny is not going to do anything, obviously. Uh, but Goff is the real wild card, I think, in this whole thing. I think really he could sort of he could sort of answer or unanswer this theory as to younger quarterbacks are more successful because they have offensive minded head coaches which I think would always be a little part of it. But I think Derek Carr is sort of an outlier when it comes to this theory, because I think maybe his talent transcends that whole thing too. But Jameis had Lovey Smith last year, very, very much a defensive minded coach was relatively successful, you know, and then they bring in um, Dirk Cutter and uh, you know, he's a completely different guy. So I don't know what, what I guess, where do you come down on that theory? I guess, uh, where do you come down on, not necessarily that theory, but I guess those guys as examples of that theory. Like, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know if uh, – I, I guess I'm sort of uh, not really relaying my, my thought well enough as to uh, guys that are opposed to the question to you, which I guess it, my, uh, what I'm trying to say is where I, – I guess – how do you do you think this is going to keep going on? Maybe that's the better way to say it. How, do you think this is going to go on? How do you see this this evolving into next season? Do you think that a guy like Goff is good enough to succeed with a a court with a with a coach that isn't as good with quarterbacks as say a Doug Peterson or a Jason Garrett? Uh, well, with Goff, I think he's behind the eight ball. Um, oh God, I I feel like. Jeff Fisher fell into that situation with Steve McNair and basically gift wrapped him. I just I, we've seen over yeah. the years such a mediocre coach and he just cannot develop quarterback. Like he just does not have a track record for it at all. Like I would, I would desperately want to get someone in there, to, at least a great quarterbacks coach, just to bring him along. Like I worry about his development, and then I worry about the weapons that they have to provide him with. That's always the biggest problem for them with their young quarterbacks. Right. And then I'm looking at their schedule right now, too. They have your Giants. Uh, I'm assuming it's in London because the game's at 9.30 in the morning. Bye week yeah, the Rams, after yeah. they have Carolina. I could see them, if the Rams aren't doing that great, starting Wentz going into that Carolina game in November. Interesting. Um, see, Wentz is – Wentz, excuse me. Um, Goff's a best comparison. Uh, everyone keeps saying it's Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan's a dome quarterback, all right? So maybe – 
I will say that there is something to be said about a guy without, you know, with with an arm that isn't quite as strong as, uh, you know, isn't quite as strong as a Joe Flacco or any of the cold weather quarterbacks, the smart teams that have cold weather quarterbacks, I, I, I should say, because the Browns for some reason took a guy that I can throw further than. So uh, in Cody Kessler, but like a big bad, he doesn't have that kind of arm. So maybe there's a little bit to that. Goff going to L.A. where he's going to play a lot of West Coast teams and a lot of, uh, you know, he's not going to play in a ton of cold weather. Um, I wonder if that translates well to success. And I do wonder the same thing about Wentz. Wentz has a great arm, and I think maybe that's why a guy like that in Philly can be successful. I do think that that, there's something to that. Now, E.J. Manuel maybe, even though I was on this podcast a couple weeks ago, saying that I think he's going to resurface somewhere and play well. I mean, he's not going to win a Super Bowl, and he's not going to, you know, he's not going to be the second coming of Cam or anybody. But uh, I, I think that he's going to go somewhere and be fine. But the Bills drafted him based on a workout on kind of a crappy March day in Buffalo, and he threw the ball really well and threw the air really well. So I guess if I'm going off of that theory, there isn't necessarily a guy that, you know, I, I don't know if there's necessarily. I'm and I'm trying to work out a theory as I'm talking, but. Um, I don't know if there's necessarily like a guy like a like Goff um, that turned out to be good with that kind of like you know pop gun arm in the North. Like I can't really think of a cold weather quarterback that didn't have a good arm that was successful. So I think that Goff is actually really going to be helped by the fact that he's in Los Angeles and that he's going to be playing Arizona and San Francisco and. You know Seattle, and you know he's gonna eventually. You know he's gonna get he's gonna hit some dome teams. You know in the course of his uh, in the course of his season. So um, ultimately, a good thing I think for a guy like Goff. And I do wonder if maybe that's you know that's a good thing with Wentz. Um, Dak plays in a dome. Dak doesn't have a particularly super strong arm. Um, Jameis has a freaking rifle. Garoppolo has a real, real quick release. But I'd be curious to see how he plays in New England and the weather. Um, up there when, uh, you know, Brady looks like the same quarterback no matter what the weather is. It, it looks – it's really bizarre. Mariota, you know, pretty good arm. Uh, Tennessee's, you know, weird weather. Bortles plays in nice weather. Carr plays in nice weather. So, I don't know if that really is going to make a difference. See, so, I think that there's a couple factors, um, and I'm going off of, like, what their long-term success is going to be. I think the weather is a very underrated factor that I don't think a lot of people talk about. But I do think that's going to make a big difference. Um uh, for the Eagles that Wentz actually can throw the ball through the through the crap weather. I mean, I've seen Eli play in some terrible weather and throws the ball pretty good. Um, I'm a big bad, obviously, oh, same I, thing. So, I think yeah. that makes a huge difference. I mean, look at Peyton Manning's career, playing in the Dome for all those years in Indianapolis. I mean, he didn't have the strongest arm, but he was always the most accurate about it. And playing in that Dome was a huge right. thing. Look at, all, look at all the times he went to New England and the snow and the rain and the cold and just – has a terrible record against New England in playoff games. Right. It's Look at Drew Brees right outdoors compared to, yeah, compared to yeah. the Dome. Different quarterback. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So, so I definitely think that there is something to that. So I guess I guess as, I'm, as I was talking, I was trying to work out a theory a little bit on, on not necessarily why these guys are successful, but how they're going to keep being successful. And my best guess is, is that it is going to make a difference where they play. And I think – Based on everything, I don't necessarily feel great about Goff's career trajectory. I, I think until they get a coach that's an offensive-minded guy, I, I just don't know. I'm not going off of hard knocks because I think hard knocks, I, I don't know if that did him any any favors because, you know, Greg Williams was popping off about him. Um, 
you know, that you see things uh, like him trying to memorize the play. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they, they show him trying to memorize a play, and it was just sort of embarrassing. But all rookies are probably going through that. They just weren't on HBO doing it. So, you know, I feel a little bad for Goff in some sense, but I think if they get a good offensive coordinator in there, because I don't think the guy they have now is that good. Um, uh, oh, God, what's his last name? I can picture his face. And I think it's like Boris or whatever. Um, but anyway, uh, so, yeah, I, I think ultimately I think the, the biggest reason these guys are succeeding is I think it's coaching, 100%. I mean, that's my biggest theory or my biggest reasoning for why I think that this revolution is happening. I think you're seeing more offensive-minded, creative coaches taking these guys and sort of making them, elevating them a little bit more. I think Blaine Gabbard's a great example with Chip Kelly. Blaine Gabbard played the game of his life in week two, and then, you know, week three, meh. But Blaine Gabbard is never a good quarterback in the NFL, but he looks competent under Chip Kelly. Uh, I'm real curious to see when Kaepernick gets back up in shape, gets back up to his playing weight, and uh, starts throwing the ball a little bit stronger like he used to. I'm curious how he does up there, too. So, I, I ultimately, I think if uh, we're going we're gonna to have a conclusion to this conversation, um, I think, uh, and I'm going to let you finish it, uh, I think it's coaching. I think it's just creative offensive coaching um, that's sort of taken the league into the new direction. I think with all the six coaching hires uh, going into this year are all offensive-minded guys, I think you're going to see more and more of that, too, and you're going to see the old Rex Ryans and John Foxes um, just sort of disappear and the, uh, you know, the, the Chip Kellys of the world are going to be the guys that sort of rise to the top of the head coaching ranks. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like you said, coaching is such a huge part of it. I just think for LA, I mean, I don't think he'd ever leave Michigan, but if they could get uh, hardball back, the quarterback whisperer, I mean, look what that guy did in San Fran for Kaepernick's career. And, I mean, Kaepernick is the backup now to Blaine Gabbert. And we were talking about Kaepernick being one of the greatest weapons in the NFL a few years ago. I mean, it's just crazy how far that guy's fallen. Right, and he was, because remember in that Green Bay playoff game, he was brilliant. He was absolutely oh, he's incredible. And I think Jim Harbaugh, I have a theory on Jim Harbaugh, is that I think he's one of the three best coaches walking the earth right now. I honestly feel that way. I think I think it's Belichick, I think it's Urban Meyer, and I think it's Jim Harbaugh. And I think that those oh, are the I, top three guys. Totally. And uh, I think how well he turned yeah, around Michigan. And a lot of people in throw just two years. <laughs> Yo, it's ridiculous. And I people throw Saban in there. I don't think I think Saban has a system. I think he has a very smart system for college football. But I don't necessarily. He's not creative. He's not a good offensive head coach. He runs the ball. No. Like, that's why I don't think he would ever translate to the NFL. I think what he's doing in college is absolutely perfect. If you're going to coach college. What Urban, or excuse me, what Nick Saban is doing is absolutely perfect. But that that style of football doesn't work in the NFL, and that's why yeah. I never thought Saban also in the gets NFL multiple. He gets multiple five star recruits at every position. I mean, look at his defenses; they're just so much faster than everybody else. But I mean, look at his list of right. quarterbacks. He's never he had a great quarterback in his system. He's never developed a his good best young quarterback, quarterback. Is what AJ McCarron? Yeah, say AJ McCarron. Yeah. Or um, yeah, another Greg, one, Greg McElroy. McElroy, yeah, the backup that was for the Jets for a while. Yeah. I think maybe Cincinnati now. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, but no, he's, never he's not the league anymore. NFL. Oh well, there you go. No. So I don't know. Anyway, this is under the hoodies with Bill Kegel and Tony Nicola. If so I can say that without so much hate behind it um, this time. Um, and, uh, again, we're going to switch gears here. We're going to talk a little bit of, um, 
We're gonna we're gonna finish off with the presidential debate. I don't know. We're not really gonna get too deep into it. I just wanted to get some of Tony's thoughts on it because Tony has interesting takes on a lot of stuff, and I, I, I like talking to Tony because Tony's. Uh, you wouldn't know it by looking at him, but Tony's. Uh, he's 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 his knife is pretty sharp. So um, I'd like to get his thoughts on fellow. this ridiculous presidential debate in election. Yes, you are. Um, but uh, but yeah. But first, we're gonna talk a little bit of um, UFC. Uh, we're not going to talk UFC 205 yet because uh, old Bill hasn't had time to digest that card yet. We will get deep. We'll di- we'll deep dive oh, into that uh, next week. That um, card, yeah, I think we'll do a nice so much twenty minute deep that dive card. into that. It's it's like yeah. a Thanksgiving you know day what? meal. There's so much to digest. Yeah, how about this, Tony? How about I see about us just having like an hour podcast um, one day next week? And we just we just basically break that entire card down. I gotta see if we can set that up, and we'll do it under the under the hoodies banner, so the people that you know that, that listen to this won't have to look for a different name or whatever. So we'll do it in a, a special under the hoodies UFC 205 um, thing. We'll do two of them. We'll do like a preview. We'll break the card down, and then maybe we'll do a maybe if if you and I end up watching it together, maybe we'll do a live one sort of. I don't know about after the fact. It's gonna be like two in the morning. Yeah, I don't know how awake either of us are going to be. But if we do end up yeah. watching it together, maybe we'll do one right before and then maybe like a couple days after. But anyway, we'll figure that out because that's shaping up to be one of the best UFC events of all time. Um, so we'll that's be probably my biggest deliver. So the, that's probably my biggest. Is the hype leading up to it? Too. No, not the hype. How late those things are on. They start at ten. I'm like, my God, man. Like, I'm, I'm an old how man. Awesome I, I got to live on the West Coast. Rest. Yeah. How awesome! Oh, you and I We both live in freaking I mean, central New York. Oh God, I I'm trying to convince the fiance with everything. I'm like, let's pack your mother up, let's move out to or out to Oregon. I'd love to live in like Eugene, Oregon. <laughs> Got the ducks right there. Everything's on three hours earlier. You can watch a baseball game at four in the afternoon. Football comes in at nine in the morning. Like, are you kidding me? That's the life. Oh my God. You know what? When I first joined the Army, I had I had orders to go to Fort Lewis, Washington, all right? It's uh, right outside of Tacoma. And I was so excited because I always wanted to go to the Pacific Northwest. Like, literally, I have three hours till I have to leave to go to the airport to fly there. I get new orders to go to North Carolina. It's like, come on. North Carolina is the worst. I've been there. I like, I like the Carolinas, but it's like I've been there. Like, I, I wanted to see some stuff I've never seen. So they're like, okay, we'll show you some new stuff. We'll send you to the Middle East. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's 1,000 degrees and everyone smells terrible. Um, so, no, not that good. But, anyway, I, I really – you and I – you know what, Tony? Let's leave these women we're with. Let's you and I just get a nice one-bedroom efficiency in uh, Eugene, Oregon. How's that sound? We, we can go work in the lumber industry. We can be loggers. That sounds awesome. I, I might try to grow a beard. It takes me a while. Tony can grow a beard in, like, three days. It'd take me probably, oh if I'm being realistic, like 10 weeks. Oh, can we can we talk about how I work at the new office now in Syracuse and you know how they don't have the George Steinbrenner rule with facial hair and how much I'm loving it? Like you got to see the beard I've got going on right now. It's magnificent. Oh, you sent us a picture. It looked like East Hell, and I was so jealous. All right, but anyway, um, your boy is self promotion thing. Man. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, I'm getting a little sleepy here, so let's talk about the self promotion thing you wanted to talk about, which is like the press conference with Conor McGregor. It was. Fascinating, <laughs> fascinating. Jeremy Stevens is a bad dude, and uh, Conor McGregor literally. You know what? I'll just let you. I'll let you quote it because I, I, I like you sent it to me. This is your topic, so 
Go ahead. Yeah, for this is what I love about McGregor, and you can tie this back to pro wrestling. The biggest thing they say in wrestling is when you go out there, when you walk out from behind the curtain, I don't care if you get, you're a good guy, you get cheered, or if you get booed. The biggest thing is get a reaction. You never want a, you don't never want people just like eh or lukewarm about someone. You either want the person to love you or hate you. There's no better yep. example in the world than Conor McGregor. People will throw down their hard-earned money to either see him win or for someone to come in and just kick his ass and shut him up once and for all. He is the guy who yep. prints money for the UFC. If you don't believe me, watch any press conference he's a part of. Like you said with Stevens today, where Stevens starts running his mouth and McGregor basically asks him, who the F are you? Like, it's a brilliant comeback. Just puts him in his place yeah. immediately. It, it just It's going to be playing on SportsCenter. It, it, you're going to see it all over Facebook. The videos are getting shared. It just creates this huge media buzz and this hype for his fight. And then on top of it, and I almost feel like McGregor got his playbook a little bit from Chael Sonnen, who was great at this, playing the villain, running his mouth, getting the hype. The difference between the two is, though, is that McGregor's a champion, and he's able to back it up so much better. The fact that he can run his mouth and then go out and just handedly beat the guy, it just, uh, it's great to watch. Whether you love him or hate him, you, you have to feel one way or the other about him. No, I agree with you. Hey, uh, just a quick thing. I just wanted to shoehorn in here. I just looked on Twitter. And uh, Howard Simon um, from WGR here in Buffalo just uh, tweeted a little bit ago, just finished listening back to John Clayton on demand, uh, said if Bills fire Rex Ryan, Top Coughlin would be leading candidate. So, interesting. Um, I think if that happens, I think Bills fans would be excited for a couple of years because that guy does nothing but turn things around and win. Um, so yeah, oh. just a quick tidbit there. Yeah, but I 100% agree with you on this. I think I think UFC Can did I a really smart quick, thing in making how oh, good how good you will look in a Buffalo Bills Tom Coughlin jersey. Like <laughs> that that may be your new AFC team if that hire happens. I mean, I Coughlin's a great coach. I mean, if he goes to Buffalo, that's the perfect coach I think for Buffalo. You need uh, you you go from just the uh, the player's coach, Rex Ryan, to a disciplinarian like Coughlin. That's exactly what Buffalo needs. I'm all for that hire. Yeah, I am too. And um, I, I think that'd be I think that'd be awesome for the Bills. It really would be. I mean, he's a no-nonsense guy. I mean, he's, you know, he's everything you want from a head coach. He's a guy that a lot of people think is a yeller and screamer and one of these old-school guys, but you will not find an NFL player outside of Tiki Barber and uh, F. Tiki Barber um, that will say a bad word about Tom Coughlin. I, there's nobody. When he retired, the tweets from Giants players, past, present, were were absolutely incredible. Um, Fred Fred Taylor, uh, the Jackson was a good Jacksonville running back, um, had a little bit of trouble with Coughlin too. Sort of saw Coughlin's way and thanked him for it, made him a better player. I mean, Tiki Barber would never admit it because he's an a hole, but Tom Coughlin transformed his career. He went from being a fumbling third down sort of scat back to a legitimate Hall of Fame potential guy. Like in in three years with Coughlin. I mean he rushed for I want to say what, fourteen hundred yards, eighteen hundred yards, sixteen hundred yards in the three years Coughlin was with him. And, and he he barely fumbled. He went from fumbling all the time to not have a fumbling in a shoe at all. So 
Tom Coughlin does nothing but transform teams into winners, and he does it with with a philosophy. Um, I mean, unfortunately for the Bills, he's not 10 years younger, but I really, as a Giants fan and as a guy that lives in Buffalo, don't let that deter you, Bills fans. If he if he does come to Buffalo, be very excited because he's a winner. He's he's never gone anywhere and not transformed a team into a winner. Jacksonville, as an expansion team, was a winner in two years. Uh, and the Giants, um, after the after the terrible Jim Fossil era, even it wasn't all terrible, but the very very up and down Jim Fossil era, I'll say, was transformed by Tom Coughlin. Um, He's a great coach, and uh, I really hope that happens. So, anyway, UFC, um, yeah, Conor McGregor, the UFC does something that's really smart, which is they turn the they turn the press conference into an event. Now, that event wouldn't be nearly as watchable without Conor McGregor. Between throwing water bottles, dissing Jeremy Stevens, um, and any really kind of media thing Conor McGregor does is interesting. Um, his take of the WWE got hits, jawed up a reaction. And like you said, you want to be two things. You want to be good or bad. You want to get a reaction, and Connor gets reactions. I mean, how much how much of a reaction was there when he called all WWE guys fake tough guys and called them all dweebs, which I love to use that term. Twitter. Oh yeah, it, Twitter blew up about it. I mean, and I, I make no bones about it. I'm a huge wrestling fan, and my first initial reaction was just visceral hatred toward McGregor for it. It wasn't until I could sit back and look at it from the yeah. outside, where it's like, this is a genius move. You know, you've already got CM Punk, you know, we see how well that went, but, you know, trying to trying right. to fight in the UFC, you get this little crossover going where he pisses off all these wrestling fans, and now people are like, you know what, I, I hate this guy. I'm going to throw down my money. I want to see him get his ass kicked. The guy just, there's very few people who can just market themselves so well and build a brand on themselves. And, it, like, yep. a, a small comparison even in the NFL would be Richard Sherman. Like, you either love the guy or hate him. The guy is outspoken. And I think well, people I, fear him because I think Josh Norman, the aforementioned Josh Norman. Yeah. yeah. Jo- Josh Norman as well. But it, but the difference, too, between that is, and what you were saying about the UFC and how they, they put all the fighters out there for these press conferences on the podium, unlike the NFL, they just give them the microphone. They say, hey, just go. Say whatever you want. Whatever comes to mind. No repercussions. And these guys just go off on each other, create a, a great media opportunity, almost a circus in a way. But McGregor, yeah. he's just very controlled about it. He's the puppet master. He's controlling all the strings of all the other fighters. I mean, Stevens is even involved with him, and he's ripping this guy to shreds. And now it's like, I, I, I kind of want to see this fight, even though I think McGregor will wipe the floor with him. Right. Yeah, yeah I, I agree with you. I, um, I can't say enough good stuff about McGregor and just the way he built his brand and just he prints money for the UFC and he's just so good about it. Yeah, and he's he's a hundred percent he's a hundred percent what you need. You need a star and you need a star that's current and you need a star that's that's famous, that looks like McGregor, that acts like McGregor, that carries and stuff like that. And I agree, I'm stealing this from Brendan Schaub from the fighter and the kid, former UFC fighter. Um, great podcast. Uh, but he says that the biggest problem he has with John Jones is John Jones isn't turning heel. He wants to be loved. Same with yep. Cormier. Stop trying to be loved. Be a personality. I think yep, you, exactly. he's right. John Jones, John Jones might be the pound for pound the best fighter of all time. Same thing with DC. Pound for pound, one of the best fighters of all time. No one cares. McGregor's not in their class as far as pound for pound fighters. He's a really good fighter very clever fighter, 
But as far as being as technically skilled as DC or as John Jones, he's not there. But what's he do better than everybody, all those guys combined? Pay-per-view buys. McGregor, every single pay-per-view he's in, you're paying $60 to see McGregor. I think if you're saying, uh, you know, I want to see Conor win, I want to see Conor lose. Doesn't matter what you want to see if you're if you're the UFC because you're tuning in to watch McGregor do one or the other. And I, I think that that is exactly what the UFC needs right now. I think he's a huge part of why the UFC is successful currently. I mean, you can give Ronda credit, and, and she definitely deserved it. I think she, she's a pioneer for women's at mar- mixed martial arts. I think she's empowered a lot of women. Um, but we haven't seen her since Holly Holm kicked her face off. Holly Holm turned out to be maybe a flash in the pan. Uh, Misha Tate, although good-looking, she's too nice of a human being to be that. She's too nice of a human being to be a Conor McGregor type. Um, so, I mean, like I said about John Jones in DC, they're not they're not the personality that Conor is. But there's a lot of fighters that are lesser fighters that try to be a personality like him. I think Nate Diaz is up there. I think Nate Diaz is a lot more fascinating than Conor because um, he's just sort of a He's just sort of like the tough guy you went to high school with, like that could punch your face in, but like has like kind of like a kind of like a real weird, for lack of a less, you know, ignorant way to say it, kind of an urban swagger to him that I think rubs a lot of uh, middle America apple pie eating white people the wrong way. Um, but I think he's also oh, okay yeah. with Connor, not quite on Connor's level, no one is. But uh, as far as a, a trash talker and a guy that gets clicks, and he's not. He's, he's got like a, he's like twenty and eleven or something like that. Twenty one and eleven record. He's not exactly he's not dominant. That's he's the dominant. point I was just John Jones make. is dominant. Yes. Yeah. Diaz Diaz loses you know half his fight, but because of that personality, because he can draw people in, people want to see him fight. I I try to never miss a Diaz fight because of that fact. Even if he's going to get his ass kicked, I it, it's something captivating about him. Like you. At the end of the day, you can put fighter A versus fighter B, but if there's nothing behind it, no story, no personalities, no no issue for why they're fighting, you know, maybe more so than a belt at times, like, like what am I watching? It all becomes the same in a way, you know? Right. Right, exactly. Um, and to go so, back to McGregor, too. Go ahead. The, the thing I always look at with UFC and their business model and pay-per-view buys is, you're always going to have the diehards there, the diehard UFC fans that buy, you know, a few pay-per-views a year or every pay-per-view. Like, the thing I always look at is, like, I'll take my mother-in-law, for example, where, you know, her her family is hugely Irish. They love McGregor. And I could be like, oh, I'm going to watch the UFC fight this weekend, blah, blah, blah. I might order on pay-per-view. The first words that come out of her mouth, oh, is, is Connor fighting? Is McGregor fighting? She won't watch right. any other UFC event. For the most part, she thinks it's barbaric. But if Conor McGregor is yep. in that octagon, her eyes are glued to the screen. She's watching it with the kind of personality you need in the UFC. You needed someone who can draw on those casual fans who just have an emotional connection to them. Look at any UFC event that they have live, no matter where it is in the United States. You'll have a, maybe a quarter of the arena is filled with Irish fans, like straight off the boat. Right. Like, they love this guy. Yeah. Right. And, um, yeah, I, I – and- same thing with my wife. My wife has no idea who UFC is or what UFC is. She has no idea any other fighter outside of maybe Ronda Rousey. Maybe um, I'd have to go in and ask her. Or, but she knows Connor. She sees Connor on the screen. She has a reaction. She goes, "He's annoying." I was like, 
Connor doesn't care. Connor, Connor only cares that you know who he is. Like, and that's that. Like, like we've beaten the we've beaten this horse. That's absolutely perfect for the UFC. Doesn't matter how my wife feels. All that matters is that she knows who he is, and that is that is why that organization is growing faster than its competitors. Why it's growing faster than it's going to be the big. It's going to be the third biggest sport in this country, maybe fourth, because I think soccer is definitely. Uh, leapfrogging hockey and UFC is leapfrogging hockey and baseball and I think soccer is going to leapfrog hockey and baseball and I think it's going to be the NBA it's going to be the NFL obviously it's going to be it's going to be the UFC and it's going to be soccer I think those are going to be the big four sports in America in 10 years and uh, I I agree completely I think Conor McGregor is yeah I think you can blame UFC for putting boxing just on the back burner. Like, I think UFC has helped just completely kill boxing. And a lot of it's the boxing right. own credit as well for just too many fells, too many weight classes, not putting marquee fights together. But, yeah, UFC has just overtaken it by far. Right, exactly. So, all right. Um, we're going to finish with a little bit of presidential debate talk. Did you watch any of it? I have uh, – I told you about this, I think, the other day. I, my, my fiancé and I got into it early on during the, um, the Democratic and the Republican debates, you know, when there was, like, 12 people on the stage. I got, we got in it too early. I got so burnt on it so quick. I just I want this whole thing to be done. I can't wait until, I think, it's November 4th or 5th, Election Day, until it's all over. I just, yeah. I, I, I can't stand either candidate. I think we're screwed either way. Like, Thank God we have checks and balances in our government, so they can't completely just drive it to hell. But uh, it's it's become a circus, man. It's incredible. It is incredible, and it's kind of sad that we're stuck with these two as candidates. It's really depressing. Um, you know, this is a country. I don't want to say I fought for the country because I didn't really. I didn't fight in a revolutionary war, and I didn't fight in either of the world wars. I can't really say I fought for this country, but at least I did. I did something small, I guess, to help something. But um, but it is sad, you know. It's sad that these are who we who we're left with. I really can't say it any differently than that. Which is, we're stuck with a woman who is, she's just she's just such a politician through and through. She, I think she's almost incapable of being a human being. Um, and and Trump, Trump is delusional. He doesn't know really what he's talking about. He claims he's going to put the best people around him, but I have yet to see any sort of improvement on knowing any facts or anything. I mean, this is one of his quotes from a presidential debate. All right. Could you, do you think our grandparents could have imagined a president saying African-Americans and Hispanics are living in hell? You walk down the streets, you get shot. I've never heard a more broad statement about race relations in this country ever in the history of anything like that. It, it, you can't, that's not true. That's not true. There's issues you know, there's issues in this country dealing with race and racism. I agree, but a bold state, or, or, or such a specifically general statement, and I know I'm contradicting my uh, words there, but Trump can do that. You walk down the streets, you get shot. Okay, this doesn't happen. Um, so, just because you're, that's just so short-sighted, and it's not really addressing anything. He's just sort of saying nothing. It's funny how the movie The Campaign with Will Ferrell and um, Zach Galifianakis is slowly but surely becoming a documentary. Um, and I know you and I have had this conversation about the movie Idiocracy, 
Um, also becoming going from a yep. motion picture based on fiction to I was going to bring a that up at this point. Yeah, it's so true, but sad. I, it's like it, it, it just I don't know. I, I'm going to get this out and then I'm going to let you go on your idiocracy point because it, it, it's it's true. I think it's it should be wrong for politicians. And Bernie Sanders was sharing this. This was said at the debate that they they bring up this tuition reimburse or this tuition forgiveness student loan forgiveness thing how much is you know what don't even give me a number but i'm sure ashley and maggie are both in a financial situation that they don't that they probably aren't we'll say the investment on the student loan really isn't yielding the return that i think either of them would hope it would when they first were 18 years old and opted into a lot of these student loans and going into college and doing all this stuff. I don't think, I don't think they're quite getting the return on their investment that they thought they would. And I think, no, I think for a lot of people, I think that tuition payments are as much as are, are, are the second biggest bill that most people have outside of their rent and or mortgage. And it's why so many kids are increasingly living with their parents for longer periods of time because the student loans are just so astronomical and that mountain is so hard to climb out of that you have to, you, you absolutely have to. So to mess with people's emotions so hard by, by, by falsely promising something that's incredibly economically unfeasible just seems like it should almost be illegal to say something like that. You're preying on people's emotions and their finances and, and people that are struggling, and I'm not even using my wife as a specific example because we're fine. And I, I, you know, based on conversations with you, I know you guys are fine, but a lot of people aren't. And it's just unfair that candidates are using that as a platform to get votes. It's why I thought Bernie Sanders was so full of ass. Like I'm trying to swear, um, is so full of ass because he just he was saying all these things. It just it, he knows he can't make that happen. Like, these people can't make that happen. So it, it just drives me crazy. It's why I absolutely despise this election. I despise both these candidates. And it's to a point where I'm not even going to vote. Like, I, I, would, I would honestly write in Obama again. And not that I'm a, a huge Democrat or a huge Republican. I, I tend to, you know, I tend to just sort of go candidate by candidate when it comes to things. But it, it's hard to find anything endearing about either of these two. The only thing I will say for Hillary, at least she has experience doing this kind of thing. She's been around it. Like, that's the only thing. She was a secretary of state. She has some idea of foreign diplomacy. That makes her the only, that's the only difference between her and Trump is that she actually has experience and she has relationships and with, 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 with foreign leaders. Like, she has something. There's at least something there with her. Trump is making these false, sweeping promises and these sweeping general statements about what we need to fix. And it's sickening that he's made it this far to me. It is sickening. It's almost as sickening that Hillary's made it this far because she's an absolute sociopath, I think. But this is what America wanted. And on the other hand, it's also why America's great is that we've picked these two. <laughs> Ironically, it's, it's, it's a good thing that we live in a society where we are electing people we don't want. It really shows that we do have a choice, and it sucks 
but at the same time, it's good. It's the same feeling on the thing with Kaepernick. It sucks that he feels like he's in a position where he has to take a knee during the national anthem, but it's great that he's in a country that he can do that. And I, I that's that's really where I want to leave the show. So I'll let you finish up with your idiocracy, uh, your idiocracy point because it's fantastic. I love that movie, and I loved your point of view on this country in that in that movie. So go ahead, Tony. Oh, God, you're going to have to remind me about the ARC point because I'm completely drawing a blank right now. I mean, I, I love that movie. Sorry. We get up really early. So those listening, if we haven't beaten this horse to death yet either, we've beaten the horse statement to death as well. But um, to, beat, to keep beating uh, a dead horse that's been dead since we started beating it, it's really getting violent. Um, we both yeah. wake up really early. So your idiocracy point is basically, uh, I probably even stepped on it. You basically said how that movie is sort of becoming a reality. It's like people are so hyped up on, uh, you know, I, I think you were going into like an energy drink thing. Um, and you were going into like, like how people, um, and we had this conversation a while ago and I, 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 I remembered a lot of it, but, um, you were going into how like people, instead of saying like, like, I'll give an example, like a silly example. So instead of saying, thank you, or I appreciate that, people are just saying, preach. Like, our, our sentences are getting smaller. Our words are getting smaller. And it's like we're sort of minimalizing and uh, we're sort of, you know, we're, 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 we're addicted to electronics as opposed to having real human reactions. And it's kind of like we – it does seem like as a society – we're so on our phones and we're so instant gratification that we can't even muster up the strength to say actual words. We're abbreviating. abbreviating. So instead of saying, oh, that's crazy, we'll say, that's cray. And that's what they were doing. <laughs> Idiocracy, which was one of my favorite lines, favorite lines in the movie. Go away, I'm baiting. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a perfect example. So that was the point you were making. Uh, this was a while ago, but I absolutely loved it because you're 100% spot on. And I never really caught well, on to that. You see it so much now online. Anytime you look at, like, comment sections on Facebook or news articles, like, just the visceral hatred and the typos, misspelling and the grammar. And it's like, I'm the first person to admit that I can be the biggest troll in the world, but I'll be a super grammar Nazi about it. Like, everything I say has a point, and I use facts to back up my argument. Like, I just see people arguing stuff right. like they can't even make a. I can't even form a whole sentence. And I'm like, well, you could have made a great point, but the fact that you're not intelligent enough to get it across just invalidates your entire point. Right, and, and no one writes in cursive anymore. Excuse me, I'll be honest. No one writes in cursive anymore. No one. Uh, I don't even think they're teaching it in school. Like, it's to a point where handwriting is starting to become obsolete, which is very bizarre because our hands are attached to us. Um, but yeah, it is sort of a uh, it's sort of a good indication of where our society is heading. So idiocracy, um, we really should do a show on movies that are uh, that are predicting the future. I think idiocracy though is 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 almost a documentary about 2016. But I think yeah. there is also good parts to uh, good parts to uh, you know this world and the technology and stuff. But we're not really that show. But I thought that the presidential debate thing was poignant. I thought it was another great uh, thing too. I thought it was something to watch. Oh, go ahead. Especially for a comedic effect with this election coming up is uh, the Daily Show on Comedy Central. I watched a uh, yeah. sketch that they did the other night where they went to a Trump rally just to like get a sense of like who these people are and what they're all about. And they took a photograph of Hillary Clinton 
and they made a carbon copy of it, like had a duplicate photograph. Same exact photograph. They haven't changed a thing in this photograph. And they go to a bunch of Trump supporters, and they say, hey, did you hear that Hillary Clinton has a body double? And, of course, you know, people, if, they, if you put a microphone in front of their face and you give them a little news snippet, much like Howard Stern proved years ago, they'll believe anything that you tell them. So the next thing you know, these people are looking at the two identical photographs and they're trying to figure out which one's the body double. And every person, <laughs> like, they didn't say, oh, they look exactly alike. They literally found differences that weren't there just to prove their point. Uh, like, one gentleman was like, oh, yeah, I can see, uh, you know, the, the wrinkles on her neck, and you can tell that she has a bruise, you know, on her right cheek in that photo, not the other one. That one's the body double. They're the same exact photo. Like, it's just... <laughs> It's amazing to me, just stuff like that, where they'll do, they'll they'll skew it any way they can just to prove their point. Right, and these are the people that are voting for our president. That's so sad. Yeah. No, I agree it's with you, terrifying. and also uh, that's a good, yeah, that's a good point. And of the of the Daily Show ilk, check out John Oliver at HBO. Oh my God, you, yeah. you're you're doing yourself a complete disservice by not watching that that genius. I think he finally won, an, and I would say finally, he's only been out for like three years. But he won an Emmy this year for um, Outstanding uh, Variety Show something. I have to look. Uh, anyway, he did win the Emmy this year that uh, The Daily Show usually used to win. Um, not that The Daily Show has gotten worse. I just think that John Oliver has gotten better. And um, The Daily Show, maybe the voters have voter fatigue because that show has won for so long. Um, or maybe they don't like the new guy as much as they like John Stewart, whatever. But I will tell you, John Oliver's show last week tonight is absolutely genius. Um there's a couple episodes you should watch. I think it's the third episode of uh, season three. Um, the Donald Trump episode, the infamous Donald Trump episode, is as great as advertised. If you haven't seen it, definitely check that out. Tony, i got to remember to give you my HBO password so you can uh, watch it. Yeah, um, please. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. He takes shots at Trump um, every show, but he does give Trump credit for a few things, and it's kind of interesting um, for a guy that hates Trump as much as he does and as, and as left-leaning as that show is, and it is left-leaning but I think that there's really good information there. And a lot of times on his main stories, there's not a ton of biasness um, politically. There's a ton of moral biases that he definitely goes towards. And I, I, it, it's really a fascinating show. It's a super creative show. And there's not a lot of anything like that on television outside of maybe the daily show. Um, South Park, it does have a little bit of South Park to it too, which is uh, of, uh, basically how current it is. Um, it's not quite the satire that South Park is, but um, but yeah, it's a super interesting show. So if you haven't watched it, definitely check it out. Um, and like I said, I was going to bring that up as HBO well. Stuff so you can get it. Yeah, South Park's another great one to watch. They uh, they just premiered, I think, like their twentieth season, which is incredible for those guys. And for people that don't know, they do their episodes in about six days. That's why everything is so relevant and on point. They literally do a cartoon in just six days, and they start from scratch. But the, what they're doing right now with the election, how they have Mr. Garrison running as the Trump candidate, and he has um, uh, Caitlyn Jenner as his campaign advisor, is just a hilarious and brilliant thing I've ever seen them do. It, it's just great. Like, that's, go out of your way to watch it, for sure. That's awesome. All righty, we're going to end on that. So, uh, good show today, Tony. Um, it was a lot of fun. I liked you as a guest host. And... Um, uh, we're going to see, excuse me, good Lord, I can't believe we just did that much. Uh, anyway, um, uh, yeah, so Watch we're going to do uh, a lot of the stuff. Yeah, I know. I, well, I was in my pocket and my arms are way too far away from my pocket right now. Um, 
So uh, tiny little T Rex. Yeah, we're gonna do a. I can't reach anything, dude. That's so annoying. When the back of my head itches, I'm just screwed. I got to go find like a tree to run on. Um, so yeah, we're gonna be doing a lot of this. Uh, we're gonna be uh, yeah, we're gonna be doing hopefully shows like this. Maybe not as uh, we're both clearly tapering off at the end of the show. Yeah. Um, and uh, we get up very early, so uh, I almost said something there. Um, but we, <laughs> we had to get up super early, and uh, it's kind of tough. I've been up four this morning for whatever reason, because um, I sleep like three hours a night for, I don't know why I wish my body would stop doing this to me. But, um, but yeah, anyway, it's going to be a lot of Tony, going to be a lot of me, um, going to be some of Dan, and um, it's, uh, I think, I think the show's going to go in a fun direction. Um, we're still working out some kinks. This is only the, this is only, I don't know if anybody else heard the British lady, but uh, this is one of those shows that are, uh, that, that we, um, that we're we're it's a working out the king show it's a process it's the only in the 11th show so um yeah we are uh, going to continue to expand we have a good guest next week especially for our buffalo listeners don't want to step on it because if it doesn't happen i'll look like a complete a-hole so all right tony good having you on the show man uh we'll look forward to doing more of these and i swear to god if anybody else can hear that british lady i don't know if the audience can hear it tony did you hear my crazy no, no, thank God, because she annoys the hell out of me. Uh, she's coming through because I think she's on my uh, feed. Yeah, when we're on hold before this show, there's a British lady telling us how much longer we have. So I think it's only coming through because I did the host pin and all that stuff to set up the show. So, alrighty, guys, uh, thanks for listening, Tony. Thank you. And uh, this has been Under the Hoodies. And Tony, yep, Tony, what are we? We are what? I have no idea. We're tired and sleepy. We're out. We're, <laughs> we're tired. Oh, oh, oh we are out. I was going to say, we're. All right.